It is always a privilege, a delight, a blessing to have his song here. How many years have you been coming here now? Long time. Long time. Well, every time gets better and better. Thank you for being here today. I want to take a few minutes and share with you something that is very important. I've been looking forward to this time. I want to ask Lonnie and Carol, who has a baby in her arms right now, could you guys come up here? You'll have to get rid of Mia. You have to pass her over to Grandma. <laughs> 25 years ago, God called my wife and I to serve here as a pastor. When I first came here, we didn't have elders. We had deacons. I kept telling the deacons, you need elders. And they said, what are elders? I said, well, they're in the Bible. Let's talk about it. And so over the course of time, we talked about what elders are biblically. And then we called a number of men to become elders. One of our very first elders that we ever called was Lonnie Jones. Lonnie has been our longest standing elder here. It has been a joy, privilege, to serve alongside Lonnie. We have gone through some tough times, but God is faithful. He stood by us the entire time, strengthened us, gave us wisdom, courage, stamina, and he grew us closer together. He also brought his wife along, Carol. We started a ministry here, I should say Lonnie and Carol started a ministry here, years ago called um, Celebrate Recovery. Recovery. I know that. It's getting to that point where you forget things. <laughs> they tackled a ministry, which is a recovery ministry, and if you're familiar with recovery ministry, it's very consuming, requires a lot of energy. And they did an amazing, amazing job. For a number of years, we had Celebrate Recovery here. It was an amazing ministry, touched many lives with the love of Jesus Christ. You guys did an amazing job. And I watched Lonnie and Carol both grow. I watched them grow in the Lord. I watched them grow as they served the Lord and grew others in their faith. Thank you for your years of dedication and faithfulness. But there are many ministries they served in, our sound booth, um, I can't begin to, deacons, uh, so many various ministries, missions, you went through, you went through our missions, um, what was that called? Perspectives, right? So all kinds of things, but uh, so Lonnie has stepped back from the elder board about, oh, about a year ago, something like that, and uh, it's just that time, now he wants to travel and go other places. But we, what a joy, what a privilege to do, to be able to serve the Lord with you. So Lonnie, we have, by way of recognition for you and Carol both, but we put a plaque together. It's dated today, February, 20, February 13th, 2022. First Timothy, chapter, Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And so Lonnie, we want to thank you for your many years of noble service as an elder here at Priest River Community Church. Thank you 
Thank you, John. Thank you. Now, I understand, Carol, that you have a hobby of collecting crosses that you like crosses. No, but I'll start one. Oh, you'll start one. <laughs> okay. We're going to introduce a new hobby to you. <laughs> so we were thinking, what do we get Carol that would really honor her that she would, would, she would like? So I know, I know you'd enjoy this. I hope you enjoy this. I do. I like it. So we want to say thank you for your years of service, both of you as a couple, as a team, serving the Lord together. And with it is a gift certificate oh, for you. you. Thank you. Thank you again. Would you give them a hand of appreciation? Thank you. The beginning of my collection. <laughs> Thank you, John. Love Thank you, you, brother. Thank you, too. Whew, I didn't know I was going to get through that or not. I do want to take a few minutes with you, and I would like you to open your Bibles if you would. I want to share with you briefly, just for a few minutes, but I want to open God's Word, and I want us to talk about God's love in a way that may surprise you, or it's different, but yet when you see it, you realize, yes, that indeed is God's love. Do we need to dismiss our children for Kids Quest? No? Staying here. Okay, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. I saw some movement back there, and I thought I didn't want to miss that. But will you pray with me? And let's ask God's blessing on his word in our continued time as we worship him in song. Father, thank you that you are God who loves us. Oh, how you love us. You're so gracious, and you're patient, and you're merciful with us. You know us so well, and yet you choose to love us unconditionally, to embrace us, Lord, as our Father, with a love that each one of us long and hunger for in our hearts. I pray, Father, that you'd continue to bless his song as they not only sing here but in other churches, that the body of Christ would be edified and strengthened through the songs from their hearts that you've placed on their hearts to give. Father, I pray for Mitch McGee, in the ministry that you've put on his heart, would you bless him? Would you bless Operation Christmas Child? And Father, we would be remiss were we to forget our nation in time of great need. We pray, Father, for leadership that would fear you first and foremost. We pray, Father, that you would right what is wrong in this nation. We pray specifically, Lord, that you'd put it in the hearts of our Supreme Court justices to rule in favor of life for our unborn children. Lord, we lift up the mission that you've called us to as the church. Help us to be faithful in the small things and the great things. Help us to remember our first love in you first and foremost. Guide me now, Lord, as I open your word. Teach our hearts, edify us, feed our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Over 3,500 years ago, almost 3,500 years ago, and the dry, windswept sands of the Sinai Desert, 
God gave the nation of Israel what is known today as the Ten Commandments. I think it would hardly be a stretch to say that no other single document has changed or impacted the world like God's Ten Commandments. Nothing in all the world's collective moral literature begins to compare. Noted scholar, Hebrew scholar and, and author Dennis Prager says this, he refers to the Ten Commandments as the foundation stones of Western civilization. Western civilization, the civilization that developed universal human rights, created women's equality, ended slavery, created parliamentary democracy, among other unique achievements, would not have developed without them. Each commandment, he says, is a moral tour de force. Together, they present the most compelling plan ever devised for a better life and a good world. I would say that the Ten Commandments that God has given us is the best, most compelling plan for building strong families as well. Well, this morning I want to look at the fourth commandment. We began last week. I want to continue to unpack this fourth moral tour de force, if you will. In brief, it says this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's interesting when you think about the Ten Commandments, that within this great moral code that God placed in it the command that we're to take one day off a week. Now, that doesn't seem to measure up with the importance, if you will, of the other commandments. And yet God placed that commandment, take one day off a week and devote it to him in the Ten Commandments. Why do you do that? Because God knows that you and I physically, emotionally, and spiritually need rest. And that God knows. And he built into our lives a seven-day rhythm, a sacred rhythm. Six days you work, seven days you rest. Six days you work, seventh day you rest. We need rest. We need to understand God's sacred cycle of a seven-day week. According to Greek legend, ancient in ancient Athens, a man noted, noticed that the great storyteller Aesop was playing childish games with some boys. He laughed and jeered at Aesop, asking him why he wasted his time with such frivolous activity. Aesop responded by picking up a bow. He loosened the string, and he placed it on the ground. Then he said to the critical Athenian, now answer the riddle if you can. Tell us what the unstrung bow implies. The man looked at it for several moments, had no idea what point Aesop was trying to make. Aesop explained, if you keep the bow always bent, it will break eventually. But if you let it go slack, it will be more fit for use when you want it. People were designed for rest. If you're always bent, always straining, always working, you will come undone eventually. It will break you. 
But you're far more fit for use when you understand God's cycle, that sacred cycle of six days of work, one day of Sabbath. Jesus understood this better than anyone. Jesus understood the rest that you and I long for is not a, an event, it's not a vacation, it's not a day. Jesus tells us it's him, that the rest we long for is a person. Jesus offers, come to me, all of you are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. God knows that our greatest need for rest is ultimately not found in a day. It's found in a person, Jesus Christ. And God ordained that day in the Ten Commandments as a symbol to point us to Jesus Christ. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 17, he says, The Sabbath was merely a shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. That day that God ordained in the Ten Commandments was simply a shadow that points to the ultimate rest their hearts long for, and that is Jesus Christ alone. So does that mean that we no longer need to observe a day, one day in seven for rest? Absolutely not. You see, God created us so that we need rest, and that need for rest didn't go away. But now the difference is that we can fully rest unlike we ever could before because now we have the rest of Christ for our souls. Jesus said he came to give us rest for our souls. So this morning I want to look at this fourth commandment, <clears throat> and I want to dig into it a little bit. It's the longest of all the commandments, and I want to look at it as some essentials of why did God tell us why is it so important that we understand take one day off a week? I don't think many of us have stopped to really consider the significance, personally, why God has given us this commandment. So I want to look at two of them today, briefly with our time. Shouldn't take but a few minutes. I think uh, it's 11.04 now, so we should be out of here in a couple hours, I think. So <laughs> let me give you two brief uh, essentials, if you will. Why did God give us the Sabbath? One of the essentials I see is to remind us that our true identity is, comes from God, not our work. Our true identity and who we are comes from God. It doesn't come from our vocation. It doesn't come from our work. You see, work pays the dividends, if you will, of not only a paycheck, but a sense of value and a sense of identity. Even if you don't get a paycheck for your work, there's still that sense of value, that sense of identity that is built into your work. But for the Jews, God was saying in the fourth commandment, their identity and their value is not tied up into their work. Because for many years of their lives, they'd all been slaves. All they knew who they were, all their value of who they said they were, was wrapped up in being a slave. And now God was showing them their true identity was not found in their work, but in fact found in God himself. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11 says, For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. What God is simply saying is this, because God worked for six days and then rested on the seventh and we were made in his image, therefore we're to follow his example. And as such, he's telling us that our true identity is not wrapped up in our work, our true identity is wrapped up in our Creator. In Deuteronomy, where God gives the law a second time now to the new generation of Israelites, preparing to go into the promised land, he tells Israel, remember that you were a slave in Egypt, 
And the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand, by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. God reminds them that he rescued them from being slaves, that you should not work seven days a week. You may be rich and work seven days a week. That only makes you a rich slave. Only slaves work seven days a week. But free people work six days a week. And that was God's reminder to them that they were no longer slaves. Their identity was now wrapped up in God. I wonder how many of you, it's interesting when you have conversations with people, you say, what do you do? Well, they'll tell you what they do. And if you listen very long, they'll unpack their sense of value, their sense of identity, and titles and accomplishments and their work and vocation, whatever they do. And God is saying, that's not where your real value comes from. That's not where your real identity comes from. What happens when you no longer have that job? What happens when you're no longer a mom with kids at home? What happens when you no longer have those titles? Is your value, your sense of worth, your identity gone? God says, I want you to know that your value, your identity of who you are is far deeper than your vocation. It comes from your creator who made you. God so transformed the identity of the nation of Israel. In Exodus chapter 19, he tells them that they are now God's treasured people, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And their whole identity now transformed their view of work. It was no longer the source of their identity, but rather their value of who God says they were. I recently read this last week in 2018. Listen to this. In 2018, Americans left a total of 705 million days, vacation days, unused. 705 million unused vacation days. The report went on to say 61% of the people feared looking for replaceable work. Another 56% felt that they were irreplaceable in their job, that nobody could do their job without them. 705 million unused vacation days. You're probably thinking, that's not me. I want to use my vacation. But what is this saying about America? It's saying that Americans are workaholics. That we find our identity wrapped up in our vocations. And we've lost touch with who we really need to be identified with as our creator. You see, God wants us to set aside one day a week to realign our true identity and our value with him. You weren't made to work a seven-day week. You were made to work six days a week and then take a break and enjoy God. Focus on your relationship with him and your family. You see, if you're a believer, your true identity, you know, is that you're a child of God. And like the nation of Israel, you too have been rescued, only your rescue has been far greater. Your rescue has been eternal. Your rescue, your true identity, is that God has rescued you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son. You now belong, the Bible says, to God. And you are a chosen race, Peter says, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are a people of God. Your work does not identify who you are. Your calling as a child of God tells you who you are and your value. There's another part of this commandment that I don't know that we hear very often that I wanted to bring out here, and that is this. 
In verse 11, it says that God created the earth in six days. And I would say to you that the reason that God reinserts that statement about creation from Genesis 1 now into Exodus chapter 20 and makes it part of the Ten Commandments because God is saying that I literally created the earth in six days. And the seventh day, I rested. The word there that God uses for day, in fact, the first time he ever used the word day is yom, Genesis chapter 1, verse 5. And he gives the measurement of what that day is from morning until night, from light until darkness. And every successive use of that term day means the same thing as he continues to make creation. What God is saying is this is that God literally worked for six days and then rested. Why else is he putting it in the Ten Commandments? We can't say this is some vast geological age between the days, millions and billions of years. That would suggest that we could twist and we could manipulate what God is saying here, that, well, God really doesn't mean six days a week. He means that, you know, there's a vast period of time in between that's just kind of, you decide. And then when you get a chance to take a break, you take a break. Why would God literally put it here unless he literally meant it? Let's let God speak for himself and stop trying to add our own intelligence that is not there. I believe God is saying that he created the world in six literal days. And just like him, he rested on the seventh day and so should we. Second is to remind us that our need for balance in rest and work, now listen to this, it may not sound very profound, but when you think about it, it's very profound, that our need for balance in rest and work comes from God, not from the world. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. What he's saying here is that God has ordained a seven-day rhythm, a sacred rhythm of six days of work, one day of rest. And it's amazing that every culture in the world organizes their schedule around a seven-day week. There are those who reject the Bible that are very puzzled by this, in fact. Because a seven-day week, when you begin to really do the math, a seven-day week doesn't fit into a solar calendar, which is 365 and a quarter days. Nor does a seven-day week work into a lunar calendar of a 29-day week. So those who are experts are going, we, we don't understand where this seven-day idea came from. Well, I can tell them where it came from. It came from God. God gave us this balance of the sacred rhythm in our lives that we need. There have been those who have tried, in fact, to change this. In 1793, France decided to de-Christianize the calendar. They wanted to improve human productivity, and they wanted to make a 10-day week instead of a 7-day week. They, in fact, invented new clocks that would reflect the revised new 10-day schedule. And the experiment failed horribly. Depression soared. Suicides skyrocketed. People burned out. Production decreased, plummeted. Why is that? Because God created us for a seven-day cycle. Six days work, one day rest. Seven, six days work, one day rest. You see, even the communistic and atheistic cultures were forced to acknowledge God as the creator who organized our week, our days. You see, like a car, all of us need regular maintenance. 
we need regular rest or we'll wear out. One guy says, by the name of David Guzik, he says it well. He says, some people are like high-mileage cars that, that haven't been maintained well, and it shows. And I wonder how many of you came here today thinking, you know, that's what I feel like today, is I feel like this high-mileage car, and I haven't been maintained well, and it's beginning to show in my life. God says what you need is rest. And that rest is not just physical rest. It's not a vacation to Hawaii, although you'd probably enjoy it and you'd probably need it. But that's not the ultimate rest you need. The ultimate rest you need is Jesus Christ. Fourth century theologian Augustine of Hippo said it best. He says, you have made us for yourself, Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Augustine knew that the only solution for the rest that we really need in our lives was offered by Jesus himself. Come to me, all of you are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. You see, what I want you to get is this. The only rest that you'll really find in this world is not from this world. It can only be found in Jesus Christ. And God so brilliantly structured our week that it points us back to him every time. And that's what today is about. Today is a time of reflection from breaking away from our work, realigning our true sense of identity of who we are, that we belong to God. We're his chosen people. That's why we're here today is to worship him. But you may be here today and you may be wondering, how do I find that rest? How do I find rest that my soul hungers for, longs for. You're never going to find that rest in a vacation. Some of you are looking for that rest in a person. If I just have that right person in my life, if I just go to the right place, I'll find that rest. You won't find it in a person. You won't find it in a place. The only place you'll find that rest your heart longs for is in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, at the heart of Jesus' offer is for us to come to him willingly, to surrender our lives to him as Lord and Savior, to say, Lord, I know I have need of you. Nothing else in the world will satisfy or bring the rest that I long for but you alone. And only Christ can take away that heavy burden of sin, of failure, of fear, anxiety. Only Christ can take that away and give you the rest that you really long for. Today, as we think about Valentine's Day, we think about his song being here. We're reminded of that treasured love that God has given us and offered us through his son, Jesus Christ. You won't find it anywhere else. Have you accepted God's offer to love you and forgive you and give you the rest that your heart really longs for? As his song continues to lead us in worship, and you hear the words that they're going to share, I want to challenge you. Listen carefully. As you hear those words, like Joel said, they're songs that he has given them. They're his song for you. God is wooing you through his song to a loving relationship with him. I'm going to pray right now. And I want to invite you, if you've never crossed that line of faith, 
and said, Lord, I need the rest that only you can offer, the rest for my soul. I'm asking you to come into my life and give me that rest. Danny was very clear when he began our time. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He died in your place, taking your guilt, your shame. And he offers to take our guilt and give in its place his perfection, his righteousness, his acceptance before the Father, his forgiveness. Would you like to have that? And in that forgiveness, in that righteousness, is ultimate rest that our hearts long for. That's what we celebrate on Sabbath. Will you pray with me? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, I come to you today. And Lord, I acknowledge my need for you. That my heart hungers, longs for true rest. I can't find it anywhere else in the world. But I know I can find it in you alone. Lord, I surrender my life to you. I ask you to forgive me. Lord, why I have failed? Forgive me for my sins. And thank you, Lord, that you died on the cross to be, become my Savior and to give me the ultimate rest, the rest in forgiveness, the rest in acceptance, the rest in your eternal love that my heart longs for. Lord, I want that. I need that. And I accept your gift of forgiveness, of rest right now. Come into my life, Lord, I pray. Be my Savior and be my Lord. I surrender to you and ask, Lord, show me how to live this life for you. Show me how to govern the days that are in front of me in such a way that I follow your sacred rhythm of work and rest and honor you and reflect you in doing so. Thank you, Jesus, in your name I pray. Amen.